It's the BWI Live postgame show. A little bit of technical difficulties here. I apologize. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Thank you for joining us postgame. Sorry for the delay here uh, to begin the show. But Penn State football blows the doors off of Minnesota, 45-17. And I think this sums it up best for the Penn State fan base. RS says that win was good for the soul. I think they, uh, we all needed that even better with the talent at the game, too. Stadium looked like it was rocking. It was a great uh, TV atmosphere at the very least. And we're going to talk about what happened during the game and everything finally clicked for the Penn state offense. It finally happened. The Nittany lions were able to put together a complete effort on the ground and through the air. They finished with 175 yards rushing and 304 yards passing. They finally achieved that balance. And to start this off, we're going to say Sean Clifford pay- played the best game of his career to date. Uh, you know, that these high watermarks, when you see them, they're pretty easy to tell. That was the best game of Sean Clifford's career. He threw for 295 yards, four touchdowns. He had the ugly interception, but he completed 74% of his passes and uh, led the Nittany Lions to a victory. It was a good matchup for the Nittany Lions coming in this game. It was a good matchup for Penn State with the Minnesota defense and some of the things they like to do on uh, schematically. But we hadn't seen them throw the tight ends at any point this season, you know, outside of getting Brenton Strange involved. They were able to unlock that. The Penn State offense, they they took a turn. They were able to get uh we were they were able to get the ball to the tight ends and create an offense that has that balance they're looking for. So we'll talk about all those things, some schematic changes that I really liked that I was hoping that they were able, they were going to be able to achieve to watch the evolution of an offense. That's always fun to do, uh, and they were able to do that tonight. So if you want to check out the, the show, you want to be here, and you want the show to keep going, make sure you like the video. Always super helpful when you like the video. And ask questions, things you want to talk about tonight. We'll be discussing uh, what you want. Uh, my co-host, Tom Hannafin, he is busy with his previous engagements. Uh, so I'm flying solo. That's that's uh, another thing I'm going to need to ask from you tonight is... Uh, a little bit of participation. Audience participation is going to be a lot of what we're talking about uh, today, what you want to know, and I'll give, be giving you my extemporaneous thoughts as we go throughout things that come into my mind as we what we watched in the especially third quarter. Let's start with that quickly. Penn State scored 27 points in the last two games. They scored 21 points in the third quarter. So they were able to find uh, some really important things down the field and open everything up for the Nittany Lions. Stephen Light, donating to the channel, he says, here's your meager share of the royalties you receive, You should receive for the offensive team consulting. Uh, you deserve more. If you didn't check it out, bluewhiteillustrated.com, I wrote about 3,000 words talking about the Penn State offense and things they needed to do. And this was, this is the setup. Penn State had not, had don't, had just talking about Theo Johnson before this game. He had played in four games and he had three targets and he had been on the field for a hundred and some snaps, almost 200 snaps. So three targets and a hundred and some snaps wasn't doing a good job as a run blocker. He was not a viable threat. So when you put him on the field, you're just adding bodies to the box to run without actually adding a threat of a tight end. Well, that threat was established tonight. Penn State was able to find the tight ends early and often over the middle of the field and otherwise to actually add that dangerous balance because Minnesota could not cover them 
with 55 the starting linebacker. And I'm not even going to attempt to say his name, so I apologize. Uh, he's a great run stuffer. He is a very, very good run defender. And if Penn State had come out like they did in the first three drives, the entire first quarter, really, and played conservative football and not changed things up, that outcome wouldn't have happened. But what they did, even early on in the game, I saw uh, changes and some signs of life. Before this game, they had been running out of run formations and throwing out of passing formations. So the two tight ends come on the field, they're going to run the football. Uh, they have three receivers on the field. Hey, they're going to pass. They lined up two tight ends from the shotgun and started just throwing tight ends at every seam, every direction. And it was chaos for Minnesota, who was not expecting that game plan. Or if they were, they were not able to defend it. So that was a game changer. Even before the points started coming, they'd finally found a way to unlock how to use the tight ends, not just in two tight end formations and then play action out of those run from passing formations, pass from running formations, all of those little uh, efficiencies and, and those tendencies and those tells Penn State was able to break those. And most importantly, just hit some plays just be able to get the ball when the play is there, the offensive line pass protected, and Sean Clifford had a clean pocket for most of the game. And when that happens, he's 74% completion percentage and four touchdowns. Look at that. That's what, that's what you needed. Um, so thank you, Stephen, for the donation. If you want to donate to the channel, uh, we'll be talking to you throughout the, the, the show tonight, but we're going to be, uh, if you do donate to the channel with a super chat, we'll make sure we get your question on the air. And like I said, I'm here uh, riding solo. So, um, super chats are a great way to get my attention because they're colored and flashy in the software and I see them and, uh, it, it helps me out to, to know what you want to talk about. But the story of the game is Sean Clifford and I don't want to say saving Penn state's season. Cause they could have won that game in a different fashion, but Penn state going back to what RS said, Penn state needed that win from a cathartic sense. Things were teetering. I got the sense, like, generally, there have been a lot of people that have been out on James Franklin for a long time. And uh, this game, if they had not won this game, a whiteout game against Minnesota, not against Michigan or Ohio State, they had lost this game. Huge problem. If they had not won pretty, still a lot of griping. And I understand that it's backup quarterback in the game, right? So the backup quarterback is in the game. And that had a significant impact on what Minnesota could do and how they could attack. But I don't know that Minnesota would have been able to do much anyway. One of the things coming into this game that after last week, I, I didn't really trust anymore. But Manny Diaz's defense is set up to stop zone teams in a lot of ways. It's attacking. It's aggressive. They love to slant. They love to get guys running out in front of formations and then knifing back in to get tackles for loss. This was a good setup, even if Tanner Morgan had been playing. But obviously him not playing made, made it so you could tilt the field and go after Muhammad Ibrahim and, and shut him down. Now, 30 carries for 102 yards isn't exactly shut down, but 3.4 yards a carry, making him earn those things, that is shutting down the Minnesota offense, considering the quarterback went 9 of 22 for 175 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. The Penn State defense was very good. They were very, very good tonight. They looked like the defense we saw for the first month of the season, or I should say at least for the, the three games preceding the opener. 
right? So the first couple of weeks, things are a little bit loose. They're a little bit chaotic. They started to really button down on their run defense and, and creating that chaos. And tonight, let's take a look at the stats here. Let me pull this up so everyone can see them, see what we're talking about here. Um, the, the, the tackles for loss is a, is a serious advantage for Penn State on the night. They finished with seven. So let me get you the, the final stats here. Um, one second. Loading. But here we go. Okay. So Penn State's final stats on the night. You can see seven tackle for loss, uh, an interception, and six pass breakups. This is, is everything that Penn State has wanted uh, all season long from this defense. Curtis Jacobs, seven solo tackles, two tackles for loss. He's been hot and cold the last couple of games. I think trying a little and pressing a little too much to make too many of the plays he made tonight instead of trusting the structure of the defense and just going out and playing. 14 tackles, seven solo tackles, playing two positions, by the way. Penn State went with their big base, so they were uh, playing him at the Sam linebacker position where he played in 2021 with Abdul Carter at the will and then Tyler Elsden at the middle linebacker position. So they did what... We've been talking about, right? What everyone wanted. They got both of those guys on the field at the same time, and they were able to make it work with the personnel because they've got two sub packages. Both of them have Elsden or have uh, have uh, uh, Carter and Jacobs on the field. And and by result, they were able to get their best players and their best matchups on the football field. So despite going up against some run heavy teams earlier in the year and keeping uh, Jonathan Sutherland on the field. Penn State has finally dipped further into this, what they call big base. And that's because Abdul Carter's played uh, seven games now. You know, he's been a freshman for the entire first half of the season. Now he is a full part of the of the defense. And you can do stuff like that. Integrated into some sub packages. And, and Carter, by the way, right behind him, half a sack, eight tackles, uh, and a half a tackle for a loss. He was a little hot and cold tonight. So you see plays from Abdul Carter where he's taking a senior running back in Ibrahim. He tackles him and just plants him in the no extra yardage. And then there are plays where he gets caught out of gap and he's gashed for a 20 yard run that sets up a touchdown that makes it look closer than it was through the first half. And really maybe not that much closer than it was through the first half because it was it was what it was. It was the fact that uh, you know Penn State was not good in the first half. And um, in the first quarter, I should say, and then in the second quarter, they came back and they were able to put some some offense together. And what happened defensively overall for Minnesota to jump back to the other side of the ball, they like to run too high. They like cover uh, cover four quarters, cover two. And one of the best ways to to beat those defenses that leave the middle of the field open is to run a bunch of six six receivers down the middle of the field, and they were wide open all night. That's it's as simple as that. Minnesota runs a defense. Penn State has an advantage against that defense if they can just find a way to get the tight ends of the football, and they found a way to do it uh, time and time and time again. Let's let's show this again and show you this where uh, you have your receivers: Theo Johnson five catches, seventy five yards; Tyler Warren one for thirty eight; Brent Strange. Chipping in only one catch for five yards. So the tight ends making up uh, the bulk of the receiving. But and it became at a certain point, Minnesota can't run to cover two anymore. They just can't run that. 
If they do, they're giving up 38-yard touchdowns. So they go and they shift to cover one but uh, and cover three, I should say. And that's what happened on the Parker Washington touchdown is that they were running that coverage and Parker Washington just beat the safety because you had a safety on, on Washington. He beat across his face and uh, out-athleted him for the football. An amazing catch by Parker Washington. Some of the best body control in the air. I know that we give that credit to Jahan Dotson last year, but Parker Washington has that skill too. So a great performance individually. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley as well with that one-handed catch down the sideline. Both of those guys, we called them out a little bit on the show that they had the opportunity to make plays and did not make plays against uh, Michigan. They had the ball thrown to them uh, in goal line fades and however you feel about the fade, it is one-on-one. They did not even get to the spot of the football. Tonight, they got to the football in a big way. Uh, and let's get to some of your comments. David here says, uh, Sean Clifford in the O-line improved and O looked good. Yersich needs to have this good game of uh, game plan versus Ohio State and Michigan to keep earning his checks. Defense looked much better. You're the best, uh, T. Frank. Back to work for me. David, I wish I would have gotten this to you earlier. Uh, thank you for donating to the channel. Thank you for the comments. Appreciate you saying that. And yes, I, I am concerned about the offensive line even coming out of this game. And I'll tell you why. And you know why. Uh, Caden Wallace injured and didn't return to the game. And I think there was something going on with Sal Wormley because he did not look the same just even to start the game. He was on a pull block, which is his bread and butter. And he came in a little bit timid. He was tiptoeing around the football field, which makes me think he was not healthy. So then you put Bryce Effner in there. And also, I think he got rolled up on after Sean Clifford's interception. You put Bryce Effner in there. And then all of a sudden, you lose Caden Wallace and Effner has to go to tackle and then and Wormley comes back into the game. So not hurt enough to not play, but hurt enough that Bryce Effner was the better uh, answer there on the offensive line. So Tangwall was not even suited up for the game. They are now, it's a good thing they had seven offensive linemen this year that they were, they felt comfortable with because they used all of them so far. So the injuries and the health of the offensive line is going to uh, be something that will play a huge factor over the next couple of weeks. Like, how healthy are they? Because you need both of those tackles, those right tackles. You need both of them to play against Ohio State because neither of them has individually has the skills, I think, to be fully what you want at that position. So, uh, you know, your passing tackle comes in with Efner, and then if you want your run tackle to come in, with Caden Wallace, the running game, so much healthier tonight, so much healthier. Let's let's take a look at that and uh, talk about the run game and what David was uh, excited about. 34 carries, 175 yards, Singleton. He breaks off a long run. Catron Allen, if he had Singleton speed, he would have had 150 yards tonight. And then, of course, Tank Smith. We put him on the depth chart because of the situation with Kevon Lee. And it's a good thing we did because he came in. He looked good running. He uh, first couple plays broke some tackles, lowered his head. Looks exactly like he does in practice. I see more of Tank Smith, I think, than any other running back at practice. But again, efficiency, Allen and Singleton, nearly even in carries, nearly nearly even in production. But Singleton getting uh, the two touchdowns and the 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 first touchdown. I want to go back to this because this is uh, this is about the health of the offense, right? So you've presented more threats and you've presented a, a bunch of different looks now. So you can go back to things you've done bef before and it's not an obvious tell 
anymore. So the touchdown to Singleton that kind of broke open the game. That is a play they ran against Northwestern. Um, they ran it from a different side of that formation into a different part of the field. And this time it worked because they had the blocking they needed. The tight ends did a great job blocking. And I thought both Strange and Theo Johnson, uh, surprising to say this, I think Theo Johnson did a good job blocking tonight. I saw a couple, at least in the open field. We'll have to see and go back through the individual and watch him on all those plays and all that stuff. But much better blocking tonight. And those schemes, I, I love this play when I saw it against Northwestern. What they're doing, what they do is it's it's almost like a counter without any action whatsoever. So the offensive line blocks down and then Singleton changes his aiming point. Usually in man blocking, it's like the A gap or the B gap. He changes his aim point outside. So you wash everything down and he just runs to the edge trying to get your best athlete in space and get him the ball uh, so he can run. And he's able to break tackles today. The outside zone got to be working. So this is what happens when you have credible threats. And Minnesota started the game with their safeties on the on the interception that Sean Clifford threw. They started eight yards away from the line of scrimmage, both safeties, basically daring Penn State to throw the football. So finally, uh, Sean Clifford hit bleep it. And he threw the ball deep. Now, it was a bad throw, but again, Washington had crossed the safety's face. If that ball's thrown across the field instead of up the field, he threw the wrong shoulder of the receiver. That has a chance to be at least, you know, an on-target pass. But then he came back with a lot of impressive plays throughout the rest of the game, and they were schemed wide open. So Mike Yersich, I think, finally found a way, as he talked about coming into this game of, you need to do a couple of things to design passing plays for tight ends to be the primary receiver. And they were able to establish those threats early. And then the play action game worked better. And the running game as a result worked better. Still, I still didn't like the way they started the game. I still didn't like the fact that on the first four or five drives, they started with a pass on the first play of the game for the offense. And then every subsequent drive was run, 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 run to start the series. So, Still a little bit of predictability, but then they again, they flipped it up. They ran play action and it worked. So that was a really impressive day for the offense. The offense to me is the story as much as Penn State was able to shut down Minnesota for most of the game, the offense and what they did. You know, we challenged them talking about the tight ends and using the tight ends. And I talked about blending the two systems that they're trying to develop, what Mike Yersich does and what Penn State has. And they ran tempo tonight. They ran zone blocking. They ran man blocking. They were able to really finally blend the two ideas of having a spread look with two tight ends and having condensed formations. And if you got all these things in your bag, you're harder to defend. That's the balance. But you don't have balance if you don't have credible threats. And Penn State put it on tape that these guys are credible threats up the seam. Larry says whenever Clifford throws a pick, he plays uh, after uh, like a champ after. I'm starting to understand him now. This looked like Penn State team we watched for weeks previously. Yeah, you just got to make sure that those uh, interceptions, I guess, come early in the game and that you prevent uh, a lot afterwards so that you don't. You know, there's there's some there's some problematic stuff if he's if he has to throw a near pick six again for him to like get the the fire lit underneath him. So, Larry, appreciate the comment. Uh, appreciate Gary, Gary, uh, donating to the channel 
and I appreciate everyone who's dealing with uh, the spam in the channel as well. Appreciate that. Everyone's sticking around. Matt says, finally got to ball the tight ends. Really opened things up. Thanks for all you do. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. Um, when Clifford gives the receivers a chance, they have the talent to bring it down. Penn State, this is Penn State's here all the time. And and this is something I've been saying is like Mitchell Tinsley's better and he's open more than he's given credit for. And I think you saw that contested catches is something that these guys are going to do. That's their profile. They they aren't burners. They're not going to get painfully open. So Clifford has to trust them and throw the ball up. He completed another go ball, like another down the sideline go route perfectly on the spot. I don't know what to do. Like I, I said this earlier tonight on Twitter. I don't know what to do that information. Is that going to happen every game? Because if that happens every game, I'll, I'll pick Penn State to win more. Um, that That's shocking. Like I'm just shocked every time that happens because I'm not expecting it. Um, and Tinsley with a one-handed catch. Again, these guys came up and they played. So at a certain point, there's the scheme and there's the play calling and the design. But that can't be all of it. Like at a certain point, players have to make plays and you can't scheme everything painfully open. And uh, the individual players, Parker Washington, one-on-one, -on -one, went up, skied and got a football. Mitchell Tinsley made an insane one-handed catch and uh, the running backs broke tackles. Nick Singleton was able to break a couple of arm tackles. He's, he's so good running vertically. But if you get if I just think that the outside zone singleton with that speed, he can hit the front side and very few. I feel like very few running backs hit the front side of anything anymore, but he can do that. And they did that a lot tonight. Um, and that's not the only part of the 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 running game that uh, that was working tonight. But it's just the part that that I that I noticed specifically because it's something I've been talking a lot about. Goonie says, haven't watched much Ohio State this year, but I heard they're pretty good at football. Just tell me there's a chance next week. Lie to me and tell me there's a chance. Well, you pay $20. So I, uh, Goonie, there's a chance. Terms and conditions apply. I mean, if they play like this and they're able to get players open in space, I was watching a little bit of uh, the Ohio State game earlier today and uh, it is what you expect, you know. It's a really good team, but not unbeatable. I was digging into a little bit of that because, you know, of course, the game was at night, so I had a, a couple hours during the day. You know, the defense is good. The linebackers are much better than they've been for, for uh, Ohio State in a while. And I know they've had talent there, but the production has not been there from the Buckeyes at the linebacker position. I think their linebackers are better this year. But, you know, I think you can get guys open in the secondary. That's a defense that relies a lot, from what I can tell, on pressure from four, which is going to be the problem next week with the offensive line, Goonie. So check the injury update, which you won't be getting from anywhere. <laughs> but that will be a big thing for me is uh, is the health of the offensive line. And can they maintain that balance? Because if they can't run the football next week or if they can't pass protect, then it doesn't matter how many guys are open in the secondary. Um, let's see. Gary says, shout out to you, Frank. Don't always agree with him, but he's honest evaluator of talent. Stay safe, Sarge. Appreciate that, Gary. And yeah, you don't always have to, uh, to agree. Sure. That we see, we can see things differently, but I do appreciate you saying that. I do try to be that 
honest and, and give you what I see and, and not be critical, overly critical for no reason and uh, not overly pessimistic. So hopefully feel everyone's feeling good tonight. Showtime donated $20. Showtime is back. Good to see you. Um, he says, does this say Penn State is back? Nope, but it's satisfying, though. Does this make up for Michigan? Nope. Beat the Buckeyes. Then that does it. Yeah. Yeah, That that's, that's probably where this win lands for Penn State. Coming into an overmatched team that did not have their starting quarterback. And if you want to talk about, like, narrow paths to victory, everything for Minnesota starts with the running game. And it starts with pretty much one system. Like we've talked about Mike Yersich and his system and, and how he operates and what he wants and, and how Penn State doesn't have the personnel to run it yet. Kirk Shiraka, this is what James Franklin was talking about earlier. And I asked him, does it make you feel good going into a game plan of a guy who has, this is what I do. And it's been this way for the entirety of my career. And he says, yeah, like you, you, you know what to expect more. And uh, you feel like you're you're going to get some curveballs. There's going to be some wrinkle to keep you honest, but you know what's going to happen. They're going to force you to defend the run. They're going to suck nine players into the box. Then they're going to run RPOs and play action. And the the to me the question was was the run defense for the first three weeks before Michigan the reality, or were they the guys that were going to be outfoxed? You know, because we saw Minnesota do that to them in 2019, where they they brought in a wrinkle. Penn State, uh, I think, overreacted to some big runs early, and then uh, they were they were chasing Minnesota and their scheme throughout the rest of the day. The other thing that Kirk Shiraka did at that point with Tanner Morgan was get very aggressive with a former starting a uh, future NFL starting receiver with Rashad Bateman throwing the ball down the field. They had no option to do that tonight because they didn't have a starting quarterback. And uh, th that offensive line, for as big as they are, I, I don't know, you know, after what I said earlier about the Michigan offensive line, do you care what I have to say about offensive lines? But, uh, you know, they're a good offensive line inside their scheme. But if you force them outside of what they're programmed to do, the right tackle, I think you saw tonight, he gave up a lot of pressures. They don't have a lot of paths to victory. So they came in. They didn't have one to start, and then Penn State shut down the running game. So it was a it was a great performance by the Nittany Lions, but as Showtime said, this doesn't make up for losing to Michigan, and uh, you have to beat Ohio State. That's going to be, you know, the calling card until something happens late in the season. You know, because you can't predict what's going to happen in the final month. The injuries of the offensive line could be significant and severe. We haven't seen Landon Tangwall in two games now. That's a huge problem. Hunter Norzad is playing full-time. And he's, uh, you know, I thought he played better tonight, but I honestly didn't pay attention. I'm just going off of I didn't I didn't hear his name tonight. And uh, now if you the number one place the Penn State could not get injured was tackle. And we all talked about what's the what happens if the tackle gets hurt? What happens if a tackle gets hurt? Well, the guy that everyone pointed to outside of Bryce Efner was Landon Tangwall, and he's he's hurt, too. Ken says, to be fair, I love watching the game, but if it was uh, very one-sided for Minnesota without Tanner Morgan, easy to defend, a one-dimensional team, minus two deep passes. He threw, which were nice. 1-0, we are. Yeah. Um, is that is that okay for tonight? 
Because that's the interesting thing is like we're coming out of this game and I'm telling you all the things that happened on the offensive side of the ball. And that's why I wanted to focus there because for the for the defense, you sum it up there, Kent. It it was a one-sided battle. I mean, you should dominate that team in that situation. They already lost Chris Ottman Bell, who was their serious threat at receiver. Then they lose their quarterback. So that whole uh, situation for Minnesota was never going to be good. They needed... Ibrahim to break some tackles and and make some big runs. And he did. That's the thing. He did. But the game script, like for Penn State uh, in, in the previous week, it went to hell in a handbasket immediately when uh, it was tied 3-3 and then Penn State's able to get those plays down the field to the tight ends. Once Penn State re- uh, showed that they were going to open up the offense a little bit, there wasn't a, there wasn't much more Minnesota was going to be able to do. Once Penn State got a lead and then they were able to extend that lead, twenty one points in the third quarter sealed the deal for the Nittany Lions in a in a rather fast. It felt like a fast moving game. Uh, Mike Scatena says the game plan was way better than at Michigan. Hundred percent agree. I don't get why we can't play at Michigan. The talent wasn't the problem. It was the coaching. Anyway, I bounced back with a $500 win and I'm good. Thanks for so throwing some cheddar here uh, on a $500 win. Good for you. That's a good night. Not only did your team win, but you got 500 bucks out of it. Uh, so thanks for throwing a couple bucks our way. Uh, El Guapo says DeLuca can flat out play unheralded, but he can tackle well and makes big plays. Reminds me of Mike Hall, number 43 from about 10 years ago. Yeah, he's he's a little smaller than that, um, but he's a good field backer. He was going back to the blue white game. He was making plays. He gets his hands on the football. His problem sometimes is the over effort to get to the point of attack, and then you overrun some plays and uh, just playing a little bit more controlled. But he does play relentless, and that's what you like from that position. Of I think he plays with good awareness, and he knows where to be. Uh, he does make some, I'll say, he does make some run mistakes again with with play action or oversetting on some things, but generally he executes his assignment well, and it's just whether he gets beat or not, and he was making some good plays. But Penn State, I think, now you're not going to see it next week, but going up against teams that like to run the football or teams where you want to get your, your best players on the field, I think Penn State could go big base more with Curtis Jacobs and and... And that's an underrated thing, too, because let's talk about Curtis Jacobs again for a second. And I know we were talking about Dom DeLuca because El Guapo wanted to talk about Dom DeLuca. Good football player. But having Curtis Jacobs back there at the Sam, I'm starting to think maybe that's his spot. You know, and some people will say, well, no, duh, that's obvious. But he was the best playmaker on the team coming in at linebacker. He was by far clearly the best athlete the best uh playmaker the guy that was going to get you those tackles for loss and those those but playing that sam linebacker position he played it last year in a different defense you can understand the you know your role certainly and the and the kind of the concepts of what you're supposed to do at that position but then to just flip and play in a new defense isn't it took everyone a little bit in this defense to get used to it to begin with. And now he's playing in the middle of the season, two positions in the same game and flipping back and forth in the same series. That takes mental flexibility, mental discipline to say, okay, I'm over here. Now I've got to remember, these are my keys over here. This is what I've got to read and to lead the team in tackles and to, to shut down the Minnesota running game. So they didn't have any hope that doesn't happen from nothing. We saw what happened last week 
So, so a huge bounce back game for him. And uh, with Abdul Carter, you trust him more and more. I think you should see this defense as it progresses, but you, here's the thing. You don't take Curtis Jacobs off the field. He's then your will linebacker on passing downs. And I think that that's, that's the idea of uh, how, what I think a lot of people wanted to see to begin with, but we're able to finally see it happen on the field. So Penn State's linebackers in a game that they were teed up to, you know, to hit out of the park. They absolutely did that. Uh, let me check my notes here. See the things we, we need to talk about. Um, Clifford, this is another thing. We talked a little bit about this, but the Penn State offensive line held a clean pocket and Sean Clifford stayed in that clean pocket and threw the football down the field. If only that could happen more often. If only that was a part of the game plan more often. Um, and, and next week, number 44 for Ohio State, he's a pretty good pass rusher. So that's going to be a challenge for the Nittany Lions. Um, but he's shown up in two games now. Sean Clifford was not the reason that they lost at Michigan. The defense and their inability to get off the field was the reason they lost to Michigan. You saw how slowly the, uh, the team started out tonight on offense and how they need a little bit of a runway. And they didn't get that last week. We actually saw what the game plan was. Maybe this was the game plan against Michigan last week, and they just never got around to doing it because they didn't have any time. So that's that's an unknown, but we that's the biggest thing to me tonight is you saw Penn State's offense pivot, and when they were able to unlock the key of how do we use these players, then all the other ideas and concepts worked better. And here's the other thing too, is that Minnesota is a team that's four and three now. And, and they made a team that's four and three look like they're four and three. Um, number 88, the tight end for Minnesota. Ooh, he's a good football player. That was one thing that I think coming out of this game that, uh, Probably one of the things that's going to be corrected on film was the the linebackers as good as they were in the run, and they were downhill focused on that, and they should be. A couple times they allowed 88 to get open when he, he shouldn't have. In terms of some stuff over the middle, you've got two guys there, a lack of awareness, a lack of reaction, maybe slow reaction, and then he was able to get open a couple of times. Um, and then when he caught the touchdown on Jalen Reed, I just I kind of felt bad for Jalen Reed because he was in position. He was ready to make the play. He put his hand out to get in front of the guy. And then the six foot 14 tight end, who's 375 pounds and has like his own gravity around him. He just reaches out and catches the football in front of him like a full uh, wrist and arm ahead. And that's not normal. That's not a normal situation to be in for a, for a defender. So I, I don't I'm not going to get mad at somebody who has to defend that guy. When you're six foot six one, that's just a mismatch. Um, yeah, he's six seven two seventy five, but he doesn't run block. Well, you know what? I'll take a six seven two hundred seventy five pound uh, receiver down the middle of the field because uh, it's hard to overthrow that guy. Uh, he says, "How do you stay focused on the show when all these comments are being fired at you?" Well, I uh, I only look over every once in a while, and every time you hear me go, "Uh," that's how that happens. Um, Gary says any commitment, any commits coming from this weekend. Now that part is not my area of expertise. We talked about that twice this week on the BWI daily edition, both on the Tuesday show and on the Friday show, a couple guys that we kept, uh, you know, keep an eye on. So if you want to go check those out, Sean, uh, 
Sean Fitz and Ryan Snyder. They do a great job of keeping all that stuff straight. Um, couple of guys that they check back with of, hey, just want to get heads up. Didn't seem like any of that's going to happen. But here's the thing. You watch a team that you really like win 45 to 17 in front of 109,800 and something like that. And, you know, that environment, we have heard like that's the deciding factor before. So somebody might, but uh, anything that uh, this, yes, commits will come from this game, but it's like they wanted to commit and then they got the green light by the game. And I don't know that it'll be this week. I don't know that it'll be soon. But I do think that this game and this uh, opportunity here will set the stage for that. And here's another thing. And I think somebody said this earlier. Thank you, Nick, for bringing this up. After a four and five and seven and six season, I'll take a week 10 and two, a bowl win and a top 10 finish next year. Aller and the running backs, it'll be payback time. That, that is what this sets up for. And that is what they were talking about during the game, right? That's what they were talking about when they were looking at this three-game stretch. Penn State got the middle game, which they had to get. They had to get this game. Sandwiched by two losses of the top two teams in the conference, that does suck. And that will give you what we talked about, uh, what Nick said, with a week 10-2. and two. But you're still better than all of those other teams if that's the case. And don't count any of these chickens before they're hatched. I feel like there's a game... Late in the year, Maryland is going to be a nightmare if Talia Tungavolo is healthy and he's playing. Um, you know, there's a there, you just never know late in the season what's going to happen and how banged up you're going to be as well. But everyone agrees that if whatever happens next next week sets up the rest of the season for Penn State and uh, a very good season. 10 and two after all the stuff we talked about after all the consternation over the last month of the offenses and clicking. And if you still finish 10 and two and you get to go to a bowl game and talk about a new year six game and, and be back where Penn state was. Don't forget. We're talking about this with the, these, this is a year early. Everyone's saying eight and four for this year. It's a bridge year. Clifford is this, uh, is this forever no man's land of quarterback. And if they get 10 and two, to uh sandwich his career 10 and 2 for his first season starting 10 and 2 for his final season starting with all of that nightmare in the middle how do you balance that like in your mind how do you feel about that cuz i don't i i'm you know not as 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 not a fan i don't know how to deal with that <laughs> because like it really is like oh wow those two teams were good and the two in the middle COVID and last season, not so great. Um, it is a, it's an interesting thought experiment. Truthfully, I, I don't know how to feel about that. Thinking about it and, and projecting that far out in the future is, is not a, is not a great plan, but at the same time, um, Penn state has the opportunity to do that. And they get Ohio state at home. And after this win, and the momentum from this game, I think this re-energized the fans. There are so many happy people here tonight. I am having a hard time finding people. Not that I'm looking for people or I want people to be unhappy. I generally want everyone to be happy. Um, but uh, so many more happy people that have some optimism of talking about, hey, a soft 10-2 and two is great. 
Luke says, hello from SEC country. Love Penn State. Love Singleton, Allen, and Aller. Curious, does the O-line practice pass blocking? Because, damn, they are erratic and out of sync. Luke, I think that part of the problem is injuries. We talked about this earlier in the show that I think, especially the right side is injured now because, you know, Caden Wallace left the game. But Salim Wormley, the right guard, came in, and I think he was banged up to start. And they already were down their left guard. And uh, now it's like they've got their center and their and their left tackle. And those are the guys that have been starting the entire time. So I think that is a bit of a mess. And that's going to be a huge part going into next week of Penn State playing against a team that has the ability to get pressure on the quarterback and how that could uh, stymie their efforts to score points again against Ohio State because they need to score points against Ohio State. There's. There's no starting out with three points in the first quarter. And I know Iowa and it was close in the first quarter, but like we all knew that was coming, right? Like we all knew 56 points or, or some version of a second half explosion was coming from the Buckeyes. They're just too talented. Uh, I've been telling people all season, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are in the NFL and they're leading their respective teams. And the Ohio State receivers right now, there's a there's a possibility that these guys are more talented. Jackson Smith and Jigba, I know he's injured this year, but he's a very talented football player. Number two is he he's very very talented. And of course, then you've got uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. So they've got a lot of weapons, and they I'm so excited to watch Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King play those guys because another guy we didn't talk about tonight so far, Joey Porter Jr. Uh, he made it look so easy tonight. He was thrown at twice and he ran the route for the receiver the first, the second time. And he batted a ball away. Like it was a volleyball spike on the other one. He's really coming into his own as far as coverage, you know, knowing what he's supposed to be doing, the mental side of everything, the physical ability to run with people, the length, it's all clicking for him. He also was playing guys that were that were not in his league. Guys that are in his league, we saw him play with those guys last year, and I know that the penalties were they they were a killer, but he's on that level at at corner, and that gives you a chance. But the problem is, is Kalen King fully on that level, and is Johnny Dixon fully on that level? And do they have enough guys to play in the slot and and X Y and Z? And then also, by the way, keep a lid on Travion Henderson with an offensive line that's pretty good. So it's going to be a huge challenge. But with those corners, that secondary in general, they have the opportunity to play with the Buckeyes. And this is going to sound stupid, but CJ Stroud, he throws some Sean Cliffordy footballs every once in a while that bounce off the dirt or they're too high. Now he'll come back with a beautiful rainbow into tight coverage and throw a touchdown and then you forget about those. But, you know, maybe Penn State can hang with these guys with the secondary that they have. Uh, Chop Robinson not playing tonight. That was a huge thing. And Penn State overcame it. They're going to need all hands on deck tomorrow or uh, next Saturday. Oh, hopefully it's not tomorrow. I don't know if I can handle two games in a row like that. Um, this is already changing, by the way. Gary says heavy tight end set next week. Best position on the field. <laughs> so we've already we've already swung from, uh, you know, the the tight like what's going on with the tight ends sarcastic sarcastically calling them the best room in the country and now like you've got to play them uh, penn state agrees 
James Franklin has been talking about how talented these guys are for a while. He's not wrong. The decisions that this group has been making offensively are not wrong. It's just the implementation has been kind of like squares coming out of your mouth. Just like it just doesn't like blah. It's just not working. Like whatever I just said, that didn't work. That's what they've been doing on offense for the first month of the season. And they found a way to make all of that work tonight. So uh, got a couple more minutes here on the BWI live post game show. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, Franklin not playing Drew for two quarters? Personally, I love seeing the future of Penn State. He's not the starting quarterback, and they put him in when the game was a blowout, which is what they've been doing all year. People are misunderstanding the way that they used him earlier in the season and what James Franklin talked about of we want to get him some reps in the second quarter with the understanding that it's Central Michigan and we should have put up 24 points to 28 points in the first half. And sure, at that point, you can put him in the game. And he comes in against uh, Purdue and he throws a good ball and Sean Clifford comes back out of the, the locker room and he goes back to the bench like there was no conspiracy that Sean Clifford was injured and going to the locker room so that Drew could play. They played him in the games where they had a blowout and he could come in and play. And that's what happened tonight. And I think that's a bonus. Like you, maybe you didn't get as many reps as you wanted to earlier in the season because of uh, not blowing teams out, but you get a whiteout blowout and you're able to put in Drew Aller and uh, let him see the field and, did, did he threw one pass, two passes? He threw two passes. So a lot of experience for him tonight <laughs> for as much as that's worth. Um, so appreciate the question, but that that's this, this kind of conversation about Drew Aller and like maybe a misunderstanding that Penn State wasn't like working him into the game and people were thinking uh, the, the idea is they're going to get him into every game intentionally. Intentionally meaning they want to win every game by 60 points. Looking at the final stats here, Minnesota had 340 yards of total offense, which I find surprising. 165 yards rushing does that, but uh, I was not surprised. I was not expecting them to have that many yards, especially when you look at uh, in the first half of the game. If we take a look at some of these uh, splits, they had 37 total yards in the first quarter. And then, of course, at the very end of the second quarter, they put up a 75-yard touchdown drive. So that kind of, you, you get all of the yards at once, and then uh, by the time they move the ball at all in the fourth quarter, in the third quarter, they had 59 yards of total offense, and then 200, uh, 135 in the final frame. So a lot of garbage time here. Uh, the defense was more dominant than that, and that's just a little bit of a surprise. The false starts, by the way, how for Penn State fans, if there are any of you that are watching on your phone or you've gotten back from the game, um, first off, thanks for the dedication to watching the show. But that has to be satisfying, right? Because a lot of times I'll say like, ah, that's not really what's going on with false starts and things like that. And like, it's just discipline because they practice for these things. But when it happens five times in the first half, that was absolutely uh, the whiteout crowd doing their thing in the game. Um, looks like we got most of the things covered for tonight. I'll check my notes one final time. Um, 
I guess I'll just hit on this again. Abdul Carter is continuing to get better and make big plays, and he is a difference maker on the football field. But he's still a freshman. He's still making mental mistakes. There are still times that he's he just gets caught by things that you've done. Uh, but it, by that, I mean the offense. But more and more, he's making those impact plays. That, that game against Auburn, I think, set people up to think that he was going to be invincible. And he's really learning on the job. There's a lot of things he's learning at a pretty difficult position playing in the box. So that's not where Penn State typically starts linebackers. Typically, they start like Curtis Jacobs out in the field, and then they move into the box. And I, you know, I think Penn State fans are fine with this and maybe they don't notice some of the mistakes and they're, they're not attributing them to Carter. But for those that maybe are, have a discerning eye, give him the time because he's clearly a difference making talent. Uh, but he was a little bit up and down that touchdown drive to end the first half that we talked about. He was out of gap a couple times, got beat a couple times and, uh, and then rallied and played excellent football in the second half. And that game was really set up for Jacobs and for, for Carter to have a big game and they delivered. Uh, and then finally, Nick Singleton and Catron Allen, we can talk about these guys for a second. We kind of glossed over them because the passing game was such a thing tonight. There's been a lot of conversation about who's the starting running back and, you know, who should get first reps and get more reps. And Catron Allen is more productive than Nick Singleton. And you need both of them. But I do agree with fans that say, like, don't forget about Catron Allen. He needs to get the ball enough because he always makes positive yards. I'd say nine times out of ten, he makes the right decision. As a true freshman, he's making the right decision a lot and getting a lot of yards. And even if he makes a bad decision, he mitigates his own damage. So he is super efficient. 15 carries, 77 yards, and running into some bad looks, and then all of a sudden breaks one out for... 14 yards, 16 yards, 12 yards, nine yards, consistently moving the football. But if you don't have Nick Singleton and you don't have that ability to get explosive yards, who, by the way, uh, you know, chipped in 28 yards receiving as well, that that's something that Penn State needs both of them to play well. Because we've seen when Singleton isn't playing well, the offense is good, but it's just good when it's all clicking and and both of those two guys are on, you know, kind of on the upswing. This is a challenging offense to stop. So we're going to be back on Monday. I am going to uh, stay up all night and all day. And I'm going to crunch all the numbers and look at all the film and, you know, then watch it in reverse and all that stuff. And we'll bring you the film study coming up uh, Sunday and Monday or Monday and Tuesday, depending on how all that works, <laughs> how much sleep I actually do have. But make sure you check out bluewhiteillustrated.com. And I don't know if it's still active or not, but there's a last chance maybe for you to get in for a dollar, get premium content and premium access. Um, so check that out. We'll have that at bluewhiteillustrated.com this weekend. And of course, reactions from my cohorts over at Blue White Illustrated from Nate Bauer and Sean Fitz and Ryan Snyder and Greg Pickle about recruiting and what happened and all that stuff. We've got you covered in every single form and fashion, every single fashion. Instant reactions coming up from Beaver Stadium from those guys in just a little bit. James Franklin's press conference. Don't go anywhere. Just stay here and watch YouTube videos all night because that's what I'm doing. We'll talk to you on Monday on the live show, 8 p.m. We'll discuss all this again. Talk to you then.